This is the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and I'm your host, Kat Bean Hansen. Welcome. We're glad you're here. In this week's message, which was originally given on January 10th, 2021, our members John Miller and Dennis Harbaugh share their experiences in a message they've called, But They Just Aren't Like Us. Dennis and I have talked about um, changing, given the events of the last last Wednesday of our message this morning, and um, we came to real the, to the uh, conclusion that what we had already planned fit in what was happening in our nation's capital. Dennis and I grew up in a church-centered. Uh, community just about five miles south of Waterloo. Uh, we both went to the same school that our parents went to, my dad went to, and my mother taught. The only people who were different in the community uh, were the dames that lived down the road because they talk funny. Some of them still do. Oh, sorry, Murray Kay. <laughs> and from there, uh, we went our separate ways, and you already heard. So I'm asking, I want to start with Dennis. What did I leave out, and uh, what was the things that um, that uh, you um, – <coughs> hold on. Let me – the first time you met someone who was different. Yeah, I think, uh, John, for me, I'd have to go back to about third grade. Uh, we really lived in a very homogenous uh, culture there uh, on the edge of town in, in rural Iowa, really. And in third grade, a, a family from Holland moved in about a mile down the gravel road. And um, they had a boy in my class. And that summer, the mothers talked and, and they, the boy over there had asked me if I could come over and spend the night. And I'd never done anything like that. I was a shy boy. And boy, I was excited. I was pumped up. And um, when I went over there to that farm on a Saturday afternoon, I felt like I'd stepped into some sort of parallel universe. Because where I grew up, when we went outside, we put clothes on. But my friend, his, his brothers and sisters, they're running around outside. Some of them had clothes on. Some of them didn't have any clothes on. Uh, we also always kept our animals pinned up. I went over there, they had pigs, chickens, any kind, all the animals were literally running around free on the yard all over the farm. I'd never seen anything like that. And when we sat down to eat, none of the children talked and the mother and the father talked only in Dutch. And so they would look at me, they'd look at each other and say something in Dutch and laugh. And I thought, boy, for sure, they must be laughing at me. So it was, it was kind of uncomfortable, you know, to step outside my little comfort zone. And then a couple, a few, couple years later, uh, the Waterloo School District, as part of their integration plan, placed one African-American child in each class of 25 white students in the school I was at. I befriended the boy, 
that was put in our class and we became best friends for a while. Uh, we eventually would spend time in each other's homes. So playing in his all black neighborhood on the east side of Waterloo was a, again, a real different experience, kind of uncomfortable, but we were very good friends for a while. And then finally in high school, uh, I was a, played trumpet and was invited to join a 10 piece soul and funk band uh, here in Waterloo. And I was the only white dude in the band. It was, it was a real deal. We had three female singers front the band, a three piece horn section, a manager. We played gigs around. Uh, but as you can imagine, that was, now you got to envision this, you know, John, you got to envision, uh, you know, me and bell bottoms and big platform sole shoes. Um, so you can imagine that that was a life expanding experience uh, for a while. But I think the common thin theme for me and all those was there were some uncomfortable moments as I was forced to stretch uh, beyond my little closed world. But in the end, there were some real positive friendships and even exhilarating experiences that, that resulted from those experiences. So um, that's, that, that was kind of my lesson. I suppose that had an impact on my life going forward. And how about you? What was the first time you remember somebody uh, seeing somebody different than you? Um, the church that we were, that you and I went to uh, had a mission field in Nigeria. And I went to church as a small child, and there were some African-Americans who came to, to report on what was happening on the mission field. They had, um, they had bright colored clothes on. Uh, they, had, uh, they had black faces. Um, and I was just, I was just uh, um, had a lot of questions. So on the way home from church, I asked my mother and dad, if you're black, how do you know that your hands are dirty? Um, and do there, is their blood red like ours or is it something else? And so I, uh, and I pondered that. And then the next week they were back and uh, my mother being the teacher that she is, grabbed me by the hand and took me up and I, in trepidation, asked them the questions. And of course they sent out their hands and showed me their hands. They showed me that it was, that there was not, uh, that their blood was red just like mine. And uh, so that was my first experience with somebody um, who was different than me. So what are the most important things that you learned, Dennis, from the things that you did? Mm. Uh, you know, I, there was a moment uh, back when I was about 22 years old, uh, when I, I was working on the Congressman Ron Dellums campaign. And uh, those of you who never heard of Ron Dellums, I encourage you to Google him sometime. Not now, but uh, he was an amazing human being. And I was getting ready to close up shop one night in the office there when I was working as coordinator of his volunteer program. And I, I was getting ready to drive back to San Francisco, where I lived at the time. And there was an African-American guy, young guy, and he said, can I catch a ride with you? And I said, sure. So as we're driving in the dark across the Bay Bridge, uh, out of the middle of nowhere, he just, he turned to me and he said, you know, I'm 21 years old and I'm exhausted from dealing with racism every single day of my life. 
He said, I'm looking at my life and thinking, why do, should I have to spend all my energy in my life trying to dismantle a racist structure that I had nothing to do with creating? It's white folks that created this that should be having to spend the time in their life to, to tear down these systems. And I'd worked in Mississippi. Yeah, I don't even remember exactly what I said at the time. I think something like, well, it makes sense to me because it did make sense to me. And I, I, you know, worked with civil rights groups in Mississippi. Not the first time I'd heard those sentiments, but something on that bridge that night crystallized for me that stayed with me for 40 years. And that's my responsibility that I feel to, to attempt to right historical wrongs if I can not from a sense of feeling of guilt or anything like that, just that if I, I think I determined that if I had the resources and the influence and the ability to make an impact in that area, it's something I should do just because it's the right thing to do. And I wish I could thank that young man because I think back and I think, I don't even know his name, but to think about the courage he showed that night in the dark to share his honest thoughts with me, um, he changed my life, I think, in a really positive, positive way. How about you, John? Well, I, I've looked at this several times, Dennis, and I've, as I, I've killed a lot of people, I write my sermons when I walk. <clears throat> and so I've changed it several times, but I think the most important thing for me um, that I've learned is that from a personal standpoint, I'm not a woman. I'm a straight white male. I don't know what it's like to carry a child or to want a child and not have one. I don't know what it's like to be treated as a second class citizen. I don't know what it's like to be black. I don't know what it's like to walk into a store and have the clerk snap their fingers and, and follow you around the store because they're afraid you're gonna steal something. Or walking down the street, have somebody walk across before because the, they don't want to see you. That's not part of my world, and I don't understand that. Same thing with being gay. I'm straight. I don't understand that. Having said all of that, I think that for me, just like you, that um, that <clears throat> doesn't keep me from doing and striving to write the to right the wrongs in my little corner of the world. Uh, of the workshops that we've done on race and, and women's awareness and sexuality and all that stuff. Um, after last Wednesday, I'm wondering what other, whatever, whether there was any good come out of that. And I have to believe that some people learn from those experiences that we had and the, and the, the teaching that we did, that they changed and it was helpful to them. So Dennis, what's the most challenging situation you had with different people? Oh man, there's a lot of them. <laughs> I have one that's, that's very recent and fresh though that I'll share with you, John. Uh, and it deals with the uh, issue of cultural appropriation. And most, many of you probably are familiar with that term. Those of you who aren't, um, basically just means it refers to situations where uh, a member of the majority culture, like myself, uh, uh, takes an, uh, uh, something from the culture of a minority culture and co-ops it for the benefit of themselves. 
And in my situation, about six months ago, I set up a, a, a small little holding company and put a couple of our, put a couple of our uh, apartment buildings that we rent to you and I students in. And I was looking at it, trying to come up with a name for that company. I thought I, I chose a term that's from a minority culture that's widely used among UU circles and especially among new age um, followers. Uh, it, 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 it's all about honoring and respect. And I thought that's the perfect word to describe how we interact with our renters for, the, for decades now. It's, 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 what, it's what we are, it's who we are. I thought it was the perfect name. Um, but shortly after I was informed by uh, someone who's connected to that community that I deeply trust and respect and love deeply. And they said that not only was what I'd done an example of cultural appropriation, but that it was deeply hurtful, uh, deeply wounded them personally. And I was just so taken aback. I was just so surprised because John was my Sunday school teacher in junior high and his wife Karen and, and, and he, they helped us understand at an early age the power and impact that words have and those lessons stuck with me and I'm very conscious of language so this really took me by surprise and I I explained to this person that to me I always thought growing up imitation was the sincerest form of flattery and I explained my UU values about how as UUs we, we, we travel the world trying to identify and find the the best of human values and incorporate those to all aspects of our lives. But those motivations and intentions um, meant nothing in this case, um, which probably is another whole sermon topic for another day, you know, should intentions matter or not. But I realized I've got to dig into this deeper. So I did a lot of reading and uh, studying and um, there, there's a book called, So You Want to Talk About Race. And the author has a whole chapter about cultural appropriation. And, and the author acknowledges it's a tricky topic. And I found that out because I, I, there's about 300 families in this minority group in the Cedar Valley. And I felt the need to reach out to them directly. So I cold called them, set up meetings in person in Zoom. We had very frank conversations and um, they were on the opposite side. They thought it was very wonderful what I'd done. They were totally supportive. They were honored by what I'd done. But in the end, I realized that meant nothing because I'd really hurt somebody. And, uh, you know, it was somebody I loved and cared about. So that needed to be rectified, you know, but it was, a, it was it, you know, that's been a very fresh, recent um, thing, painful process. But in the end, I, I realized I'd crossed the line because I'd taken a, a, a precious term and used it for a business purpose. It was inappropriate. So, you know, John, I think through this, I've, I've learned, you know, even old dogs like me, you know, we got to be able to always willing to learn new things. Hmm. There's an old, there's an old Pennsylvania Dutch uh, saying. It's, we gets too soon old and too late smart. <laughs> and, uh, I realized that I've gotten old and I'm not sure how smart I am. Yeah. I, I worked and did what I thought I could do and uh, the values that I inherited from my family uh, and tried to make things right in my little corner of the world. 
But one of the things that I learned, and it's very apparent last Wednesday, is that you cannot rationally change somebody's idea that they got irrationally. I cannot, I cannot deal with somebody uh, that is uh, racist or bigoted or whatever it is by lecturing to them or telling them or using intellectual words. That doesn't cut it. And so um, that's one of the things that I do. And I wanna, I wanna leave you with a story and uh, that, um, that I, from my past, that I think made a point. Um, there are, in the community that I grew up in, uh, the rocks that are about this big um, and hard, and they're called, excuse me, niggerheads. And uh, people complain and talk about that, and that was the word that I grew up with. And as I changed and learned and how offensive that was to me and to other people, a bunch of guys one day were standing around and they were talking about the end heads that they were dealing with and all this kind of stuff. And finally I said to them, you know, guys, if you're gonna use this term, why don't you call them African-American craniums? And they got this funny look on their face and that was 40 years ago. And I have not heard that term. Uh, since, at least in the, in the, the uh, places where I'm involved. So I wish that I were smart enough to be able to put those succinct words and get people's attention and change their biases that they came by irrationally. You wanna, you wanna lead us out, Dennis, and end this for us? Yeah, I just, you know, as a closing, you know, I think John and I talked and, you know, we talked about the events of the, the past week and, you know, realized, of course, there were many things that caused the, the events of the past week. But part of it has to do with us being in our own little silos and our own little communities where we only listen to news stations that support the way we believe, associate with people that look like us and believe like ourselves. You know, it makes it very difficult, if not impossible to uh, connect and empathize with others. And closer to home, we're reminded that the separation and the segregation that exists here in the Cedar Valley, you know, it didn't happen by chance. It happened by design. Yep. And, uh, you know, discrimination against black folks has existed here since the first day, the first black person set foot in Blackhawk County and it continues today. And if you don't believe that, just give me a call sometime out there and I can share things that happened in my neighborhood or ask any honest realtor and they'll fill you in. So because of this, you know, we realized, you know, if you wanna get involved with people that are different than you in the Cedar Valley, that's not gonna happen by chance either. You know, you've gotta take some initiative and reach out. And there's so many local organizations that, that would welcome your support, people out there that are listening to this. You know, it's, you know, financial, volunteer or otherwise. And it may be like we talked about, there's going to be some uncomfortable moments. There, being, you know, there may, may be some unease involved at some point. In it, but, but if you stick with it, the work is so rewarding. And the people you meet are just truly amazing human beings. So a couple organizations I'm going to toss out there. Um, 
think about getting involved with. The local chapter of the NAACP, KBBG Radio, FM 988.1, the only, the largest black owned radio station in Iowa, which I listen to every day, one to 2.30, their Jazz for the People program. Uh, Embark, a local organization which supports local refugees from the ethnic minorities from Burma. Uh, for those of you who are artistically inclined, there's the North End Arts Fest in Waterloo each summer. Uh, support book readers, support the Soul Book Nook, uh, Black-owned independent bookstore in downtown Waterloo. Uh, CASA, which stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates, always looking for people who will provide one-on-one -on -one support for children who need an advocate in their life. Sign up to be an element, a mentor at an elementary school on the east side of Waterloo, and even volunteering at the Northeast Iowa Food Bank will likely include a diverse group of folks. So the opportunities are endless in our community to get involved with folks that may not uh, look or be from the same background as you. And we encourage you to, John, I both, we encourage you to get in, get out there and dive in. <laughs> so that, that could, John, unless you have anything else that I think will conclude our message. And, and uh, we sure thank you all for listening and letting us share a few stories. This has been the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists. The music is by Nathan Moore. If you want to learn more about the CVUU, visit our website at www.cedarvalleyuu.org. And you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at Cedar Valley UU. We welcome visitors to attend our online services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you'd like to learn more about joining us for a service, send us an email at cvuupodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.